Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. In each episode, we cut through the noise to bring practical advice and macro research on today's shifting economic and market landscape. Please listen to the important legal information at the end of this podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Beyond Markets podcast. My name is Helen Freer, and on today's podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by two of our research analysts, Fabian Venner, who specializes in the healthcare sector, and Philip Leinhardt, who is our head of equity research. And today we're talking about weight loss drugs, and I'm very much looking forward to getting Fabian and Philip's thoughts on these drugs and what sort of impact they might have on our lives and also on various different sectors. So let's get started. Everybody's talking about the new weight loss drugs that have been developed. Could you start, perhaps, Fabian, by talking about the potential here? What sort of size of a market are we talking about? The market is significant in size. The majority of brokers speak about a $100 billion market by 2030, which sounds enormous. But let's look at that number for a moment and dissect it. Given the annual cost of $5,000 to $10,000 per year per patient, It implies that only about 10 million people would receive treatment by 2030. And that's equivalent to only about 1 to 2% of the current 700 million obese patients globally. Or if you were to focus on only North America, it would be just 6 to 7% of the US obese population. The problem of obesity then is certainly a sizable one. I've seen a report, the World Obesity Atlas uh, 2023, that shows that the global economic impact of obesity and being overweight will get to $4.32 trillion a year by 2035. I mean, that's huge. So there's definitely a need and an opportunity for the healthcare industry to help here, right, Philip? Yes, absolutely. It's huge indeed. It has become a global epidemic that does need a solution. And these new drugs could help make a difference, particularly when people start out to make change with their diet and eating habits. The overall economic costs you highlight increasingly represent a problem. Healthcare costs, lost productivity, higher insurance and lower wages, they all restrict growth and stifle development. And that is without mentioning all the sorrow caused, of course, by the estimated 5 million premature deaths annually by obesity. So we need action and we need change. And yes, the healthcare industry has taken action by pouring billions into the new production facilities to supply these drugs. In fact, supply is the one factor currently holding back faster growth, as you can imagine. I think it would be helpful, actually, if you could just explain in a nutshell, um, Fabian, how these drugs work. So people who are struggling to lose weight for one reason or another can take them and they help them to get slimmer. I mean, how does that work? So, yes, these drugs were designed to mimic a natural hormone produced in the gut called glucagon-like peptide. It is usually released when we eat something to rapidly stimulate insulin production and inhibit glucagon secretion both processes that essentially lower blood sugar, which is why they have been used for almost 20 years as therapies for type 2 diabetes. Additionally, and that's where scientists believe their anti-obesity effect comes from, they slow down gastric emptying and make you feel full for a longer time. They also act on our brains, signaling we are no longer hungry. Moreover, they seem to counteract 
atherosclerosis by dilating blood vessels and reducing plasma fats. And recent studies found that all these effects help lower the risk from cardiovascular disease and to protect from kidney failure. Okay, so the drugs act like hormones in the gut and they stimulate insulin and this lowers blood sugar levels. And at the same time, they make you feel full for longer. So means that means that you eat less overall. These drugs are pretty new though. Can we assume that there's still a lot that we don't know? What about side effects or the longer term effects? Yes, you're right. They are pretty new in this indication in obesity. However, patients have been using them for more than 17 years in diabetes and thus, we have quite some data about potential risks and side effects. That's why one of the competitors' large outcome studies um, that came out in August was so helpful. It gave a lot of additional clues about the benefits of the weekly obesity drug when taken over a course of five years. The study comprised 17,000 patients and confirmed that there were no serious adverse events. And the main side effects were really only initial nausea and in some cases, and inflammation of the pancreas. Just this November, the Journal of the American Medical Association issued a review of the drug class and its side effects that highlighted in particular pancreatitis as a limiting factor for the complete adoption of the drug. But that's not what the markers discount anyway right now. All we know is that the data suggests that the drug's benefit far outweighs potential risks. Okay, and there's also some discussions about a pill version of the drug being made in addition to the injection. What effect do you think that's going to have? So the only pill currently available is Rebelsis, a once-daily tablet by a Danish producer, but it's not yet optimized for mass production as it requires way too much active ingredient, which is scarce at the moment. But definitely longer term, a cheap small molecule would be both more convenient than a weekly injection and also cheaper to produce and easier to scale up with on production. So it could significantly lower the cost for the healthcare system and for patients as it would be more affordable and easier to take. The mass adoption would be much higher than with the current administration method. So these drugs were initially developed to treat diabetes. You mentioned that earlier. So now there are two types of customers then, those with diabetes and those who want to lose weight. But as we're still in the early stages, supply is limited, correct? Who has access to these drugs at the moment and how significant are these two different groups for the market, do you think? Right. Uh, for both suppliers, the diabetes supply has clear priority and will not be scrutinized over obesity. It's important to know that these types of drugs can only be used with type 2 diabetes and primarily for the early stages of the disease where the patient's pancreas can still generate some insulin. The more severe cases with depleted beta cells require human insulin, long-acting and fast-acting. And these products are indispensable, whereas GLPs use, so these obesity drugs, are not as critical. They can be replaced by other things. In uh, terms of importance, the diabetes markets continue to grow, particularly with this class of drugs, about 25 to 30 percent per year. And that is very attractive, but nowhere near as attractive as the 160 to 200 percent that obesity offers at this early stage of the launch. Right now, diabetes still accounts for 75 percent of the sales value, with obesity at 15 to 20 percent, but this is changing rapidly. 
there are about 540 million diabetic patients, of whom 15% are well-supplied, but about 700 million obese people, of whom only 1-2% to will get treatment. Okay, so it seems like a huge potential market then. Philip, is this medication very expensive at the minute? Yes and no. So in the US, the list price, of course, is quite high. Uh, these drugs sell for about $1,000 per month, but typically this gets discounted very heavily, so up to 60%, depending on the commercial payer or insurance. But this is not necessarily all the payers will be looking at. The drug has a potential to reduce direct and secondary costs, that is mortality and morbidity. And while the target population is much larger than, for example, in a case of cancer, the cost is also a fraction of that. If you think about novel oncology drugs costing upwards of $60,000 per year per patient. For insurers or governments, though, it's obviously important to think about the cost of these drugs versus the current cost of obesity, because all the health issues that are related to obesity also cost a lot to treat, right? Exactly, Helen. You quoted the figure of 4.32 trillion US dollars earlier. So that's the economic cost that covers things like absenteeism and lower productivity at work. And then there's cost of treating the problems that arise as a result of obesity. And that has been estimated at somewhere between 150 billion US dollars up to 210 billion US dollars per year in the US alone. What effect do you think these drugs might have on our lives then long term, um, Fabian? Are people going to be taking these as often as painkillers, perhaps? Potentially. I think they can really make a difference in the beginning when people start out to change their lives. Um, but these drugs will not be enough. Our eating and physical activity habits must also change. What about the benefits of these drugs also on cardiovascular health? I know there have been studies showing that they reduce the risk of major cardiovascular events in people with obesity. Could these drugs really become much more than something to manage weight? Absolutely. There are key trials reading out over the next few months in kidney failure, in cardiovascular disease, heart failure, peripheral artery disease, and even in Alzheimer's. And while a success particular in the latter indication is quite unlikely, additional benefits can only support the use in the obese indication since that population is most affected. I think it actually goes further than healthcare as well. Um, Philip, if we start to see a really broader-based use of these drugs, what do you think the impact will be on other sectors? I imagine, for example, clothing companies, restaurants, packaged food producers, the wellness industry, they will all be affected, right? Yes, absolutely. So we did have a period uh, for a few weeks, actually, when the news broke on these uh, new, uh, new drugs, where the market reacted quite, uh, quite materially in uh, different industries. We had uh, impacts in fast food chains, snacks and sugary drinks makers. We saw it in tobacco and alcohol stocks. We also saw it with dialysis companies. Uh, and legacy weight loss companies and so on. So there was certainly a reaction, but we have to keep in mind um, there are a few very important points here. One is, as we talked about before, the supply is currently very limited and uh, the share price reaction is actually implying that we're going to see an immediate impact here. And this is certainly not the case. This is a much longer term theme. Uh, the assumed large effect would also require sustainable change in consumer behavior. And as we all know, consumers don't change their behavior 
behavior overnight. Uh, so again, this will take time. This is broad-based, long-term changes in habits that we need to see. And then lastly, of course, also education um, across the population, what it means to, to have a healthy lifestyle. So, so the demand and supply picture will change over time but it will be a gradual process and consumer food companies will very likely react to these shifts in demand and offer new healthier foods, for example. And uh, the margins on these uh, healthier foods, actually, they tend to be higher as well. So there's also some opportunities in this space. Okay, so you think companies will rather adapt, as I guess companies always need to be doing anyway in order to be successful. And those that do could really benefit then. And are there any specific areas that should benefit? What are your thoughts there? Well, absolutely. So as I just mentioned, food companies, uh, when they offer healthier alternatives, we have seen it, for example, with the trend to alternative proteins uh, versus uh, red meat, for example. They're actually the profit margins for these companies uh, tend to be higher as well. So uh, we do have companies that are innovative. They bring new products. They really cater to the consumer as the consumer uh, shifts uh, behavior. So, so there is a longer term benefits. Uh, we also see lifestyle companies, of course, that come in and fill a gap here. And really, there's a new market maybe opening up in, uh, for example, software to support patients in their efforts to lose weights and so on. And maybe some sports companies or sportswear companies could benefit as well. So, but I think it's important to keep in mind the consumer will keep spending. It doesn't mean that the consumer stops spending. It just means the consumer spends the money on different items and different things. And companies have in the past been able to adapt to this quite successfully. Thank you very much to both of you for the conversation on a very interesting topic. With that, we conclude this edition of the Beyond Markets podcast. Thanks again to my guests today and thank you all for tuning in. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this conversation and that you will join us again soon. Bye for now. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Baer, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbear.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. This is a podcast disclaimer. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. The podcast content is intended for information purposes only and does not constitute an offer, a recommendation or an invitation by or on behalf of Julius Baer to buy or sell any securities, security-based derivatives or other products or to participate in any particular trading strategy in any jurisdiction. Julius Baer does not accept liability for any loss arising from the use of the podcast content. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further important legal information. Get ready for the day ahead. Moving Markets is a daily market news briefing from Julius Bear's leading experts. You'll hear all about the latest ups and downs across asset classes, the underlying drivers, and our thoughts on where markets are heading. Search for Moving Markets on your favourite podcast player.